You're listening to episode 89 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And we're recording this on 24th of April 2020 here in Norwich. And things are still a bit weird. They are quite bizarre. We're in, are we in week five? Week five. I think so. It's become sort of the new normal, but also, <laughs> I don't know, half of me is getting used to it and half of me is running out of steam, I think. Yes, I think I have moments where I kind of, I'm focusing on work for yeah. half an hour and everything seems normal and then I suddenly realise where I am <laughs> and what's going on. I've been getting more reading in, if that counts. That's good. I've been doing a bit more reading in the garden because the weather's been nice, but I miss seeing everyone, miss seeing people in the office. Yeah, absolutely. What are you reading at the moment? Uh, I'm just about to finish Shirley Jackson's The Sundial, which I haven't read before, actually. It's quite a short novel. It's about a family and one of the older aunts has a vision of some kind that the world is going to end and they have to basically prepare to be the only family left in this big house after the end of the world. And you thought, this is exactly the right That's time exactly to read this. The, I don't know why I did it, but um, it's, yeah, it's it's very funny, actually. I didn't expect it to be as funny as it is, but there have been a couple of passages in it where I've gone, oh, a bit too close to the, uh, <laughs> and just burning all their books and stocking up the shelves with like toilet roll instead. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Are you finding that when you're reading a book or watching a TV show or something, and there's a scene where there's like lots of people in a bar or gathering somewhere in the back of your mind, like, they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be doing that. That is, where is the two metre rule here? Yeah, I just feel intensely jealous of them. I just think like, ah, oh, it's all right for you in your make-believe land with your pubs and your restaurants. Yeah, in your fictional world. Yeah, how dare you? It's, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit, little bit jealous of everyone, really. So I think we should say hello to everyone in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. I cannot believe that's a real place. What a wonderful name. I know, and they actually have a giant statue of a it. pelican. No, they don't. Do they really? Yeah, yeah, you should look it up. We've got listeners in Pelican Rapids then? Uh, just in the last week, lots of people from Pelican Rapids. Don't know why, but oh. very pleased to have you. Anyway, what have we got on the show today, Steph? Uh, so today in Podworld, we uh, have our programme officer, Flo Reynolds, and she's talking to the poet and playwright Kendall Hippolyte. So Kendall's work has been published internationally and his writing often explores the spectrum of standard and Caribbean English, working with traditional forms, free verse and forms influenced by popular culture. He is the winner of the 2013 Bocas Festival Poetry Prize. So we were very lucky to have Kendall uh, at Dragon Hall last year for a workshop. He gave a workshop to some lucky participants on writing poetry, which asks unflinching questions about our world. Uh, yeah, I was really lucky to meet Kendall in the Smoky Barn Cafe when he was in town. And Ooh, he's lovely. an absolutely lovely person. And that really comes across in this podcast chat. It's a really interesting chat talking about all sorts of things from very, very practical process tips and exercises for poets to Kendall's career mixing poetry and stage work. And it also ends up in this discussion about what artists should do and their kind of responsibility to society and climate politics, that kind of thing. And he has some really interesting insight into that, which, mm. although this was recorded way back in October last year, feels particularly relevant and apt for right now as well. Timely conversation. Um, exactly, exactly. So, yes, let's hand over to Flo, talking with Kendall. Um, so, Kendall Hippolyte, mm. um, <laughs> it's 
really wonderful to have you here in Norwich with us um, on this grey October day. It's, it's a ray of sunshine uh, in my week. So thank you for <laughs> doing a, a little bit of a podcast chat with me today. Um, you're currently on tour with, I think it's your sixth collection of poetry. It, it's actually the seventh. It's the but, seventh? Uh, yeah, but neither here nor there. Seven seventh. collections. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And it, it's called Word Planting, which That's is yeah. such a beautiful and apt title, I think. I'm glad I found it. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just arrive sometimes, they don't do, they? Yeah, that one yeah. did. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how this collection came about and mm-hmm. whether it's it's different to some of your previous collections of poetry at all. It's, it's, a, it's a spot on question to ask. Um, because what, I, what I've told a couple of persons, I've ended up saying this just, just in, in, in intimate conversation with persons who, you know, I like and, you know, understand writing and so on, that, um, okay, I mean, writing is always uh, always a reflection of, of your inner life. I mean, even when, you, you know, you're, you can be the most political of poets, and some of my poetry is, is political, especially the earlier stuff. Um, I say you can be the most political of poets. You're always responding to it from from an from an inner core, how you feel about what's going on out there. So to me, writing is always about your inner life, you know, in one way or another. Um, and a um, couple years ago, two three years ago, I had a sense of where like my my inner life was wanting to go. And your inner life always has manifestations in how you live outwardly, what to do, your relationships, everything. Um, and I had a sense of how that was going to go. And there were bits of writing, not just poetry. There were bits of writing uh, doing, that was beginning to, to manifest that. Um, but I was also very much aware that if I, if I stayed on that track inside, that my, my outer life was going to get disrupted, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it meant that my my outer life and my, my my connections with persons, my relationships, and all that kind of thing, all that would would, would, would get disrupted, and you know, sometimes sometimes in good ways, but in also ways that could be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and in particular too, because I had a son who was um, you know in the last couple of years of university, and yeah, you know, put it this way, I don't I don't want to rock the boat with okay. that way. Yeah. So I remember I can I can remember making. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a decision. I just felt I, I just felt myself moving towards a, a place where I thought I need to shut this down. I need to put a lid on this mm-hmm. until hopefully if I live long enough and the circumstances change, then I can get to it. So when I did that, then other kinds of poems started to happen. All right. Wow. Other kinds of poems started yeah. to happen. Um, I and it's not that I wasn't. I I didn't, I didn't have a, any kind of clear sense of the overall direction and you know, that kind of thing except that some of them were more, were more inward um, so in in some ways in some ways word planting the, 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 um, the poems in word planting are poems that if you like manage to um, manage to escape the, the lid or that are allowed to escape the lid yeah. and then afterwards I so try to see okay how I could, you know, I, I could I could make them you know within a book um, make some some kind of a hole, and I feel okay. Now that that's happened, I've got to find my way back to where I was before that, yeah. <laughs> and see what surprises, um, good and bad, um, lie in store there for me. Yeah. yeah. So even even the title word planting, um, 
in a way, it, it, it was it was a title that allowed me because I don't, to be honest, I, I don't really have, as I have in some of the other books, uh, a sense of an overall tra- trajectory mm. in the collection. They may, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't somebody on the outside can see it. Maybe I'm still too close to it, but I don't have the sense of that. And word planting was the kind of title that um, allowed me to do a kind of a, you know, you, you know, just give a general label. Which is accurate, because, you know, every, every, everything is, you know, if you're, if you're a poet, everything you do is worth planting. But it's, it's general enough and accurate enough to allow me to say that without, without um, trying, making me try to think, okay, so this is what this book is doing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's what happened. Fantastic. So you just, I don't know, you plant the seed of these poems and yeah. they, they have grown into yeah. a, a collection. Yes, that yeah. Has its own, yep. its own life and its own logic. Yes, yes. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're here touring with word planting, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you're, you're doing um, workshops and readings all over the country. Yes, yes. Some of those are in writing for performance and dramaturgy as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I just wanted to ask about, as you say, this project and how it, how it came about, mm-hmm. finding mm-hmm. different forms and balancing your work right. for stage, for poetry. Right. F- for each of these projects throughout your career, how, how do you find mm-hmm. the form for yeah. it, if, yeah. if you will? Yeah. Um, I hope I can answer the question. No, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. no no, you 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 phrase you phrase it, you phrase it pretty accurately. Was it no matter how accurately you phrase it or anyone phrases it, um, I'll always end up groping toward the answer because I'm understanding the answers as I go along. You know, yeah. um, but okay. I mean, I've always, I've always been involved in in theatre, um, both both as a called playwright or you know, sometimes you devise work, but you also can, you know, write a script as well. Uh, and as a director, and, and directing is actually what I, I, I do more. I do more of. Uh, I do some acting as well. I actually trained as an actor for a bit, um, and it's always been, it's always been uh, a juggle, a necessary one, I suppose. It's always been a juggle and a back and forth, balancing the, the theatre side of, of my life mm-hmm. and the poetry side of my life, because you know these two drastically opposite kind of things. Yet I find <clears throat> I find I need both. Yeah. Because, because theaters, for me, t- theater allows you to have uh, allows me to have a, a, a more direct conversation with the society mm-hmm. and getting responses and feedback like in the moment with an audience right there. Yeah. And if you're doing and, and, and if you're doing um, something like community theater, mm-hmm. and then you know and you have a Q and A at the end of it and so on that kind of thing, then you know the response is even more urgent and you know on key. Yeah, yeah. And I've always felt that yeah. I, I both like that and I think it's necessary. I needed it because, I mean, we all know writing is really, really solitary stuff, mm-hmm. you know, really, really solitary stuff. And, and, and I'm a private person and, you know, if, if I were just to, to stay with the poetry alone, I mean, I'd, I'd be a happy hermit. Um, but, you know, you, you write the poems and they, they go out there, whether in journals or whatever, and um, a couple of them, you know, I've been fortunate that they end up in school anthologies and that kind of thing. So, they, you know, so there's a, a student audience, a captive audience for people um, <laughs> for, for it. But but beyond that, you're not really sure what what the poetry does unless persons come to you and tell you or you you, know, you get some sense of it. But theatre, you do know. So I say I've always wanted those. I've always want, I've always wanted the balance for them. Um, I've I don't think I have ever right up to now found what I think of as a happy medium. It's it's always boom. I'm in this and then 
this is an adaptation of that. Right now I'm feeling, I'm, I think I'm slowly getting around to answering your question. Uh, right now I'm feeling that, um, especially I suppose with, with, um, with, with word planting out with that last book out, yeah. I'm feeling I really want to get back more into theatre. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm really, really feeling more and more and more and more and more. So, as far as the, the, the project here, or the, 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 the sessions here um, are concerned, I've been, I won't say lucky, I've really been blessed in, um, in having made the acquaintance of different persons in different contexts who have a sense of the kind of work I do um, and who are willing to help make this happen, you know. Um, I, f I find this necessary um, to, to be... I love St. Lucia, I, you know, I love the Caribbean, that's where I, I, I find the meaning for what I do. Mm -hmm. um, but I find it's, it's um, necessary to, to be out for a bit sometimes. Yeah. Both in terms of just income earning, because you don't, you know, you don't really make much, much income, you don't really derive much income from those things um, in St. Lucia, or even in lots of the wider Caribbean. Both, both in terms of that, but also in terms of um, connecting with connecting with other persons, um, not just Caribbean persons or even Caribbean persons who live outside, but connecting with other persons who are in who are walking similar roads, you know, yeah. um, in their own kind of ways. So that kind of connection to me is, is necessary. Um, <clears throat> so it felt it was feeling like okay, especially yeah, yeah, um, my son has finished finished university, you know, and started work so in, in June. So I've kept myself kind of like fairly contained and not taking like long stretches out yeah. away from home, you know, away from family. Now that he's done that, mm -hmm. uh, I feel, okay, right, I can begin to spread my wings. Yeah. So, so in connecting with persons about, okay, so I'd like to do this. People Tree was really, um, People Tree was really, really um, helpful. They, they paid my airfare and in return, I'm doing some workshop stuff um, for them. So that covers that. Um, <clears throat> and then now, um, different persons who who have a sense of the different kind of things I do, began to in fact, insert me into possibilities, you know, elsewhere. Yeah. So one person who's been really, really helpful is, I mean, um, Sean Miller um, Bismahoon, um, Linton Quasi Johnson's um, wife, because yeah. um, you know, I've known him for a long time. And um, so she, through, through speaking volumes, um, her agency, has been helpful in looking out for the different kinds of things that I can fit into. So, you know, a, a festival, you know, a festi re reading at a festival or, um, or, or some other kind of literary event. Um, I'm not sure how the directing one in Manchester came about, but I'm really, really grateful for that. One of the persons at People Tree, um, Adam, Adam Lowe, um, he was the one who, who arranged that. And that's one I'm really, really looking forward, yeah. really, really looking forward to. Yeah, and in the different workshops that I'm, I'm going to do, um, according to, to the nature of the, um, of, of the participants and, and their, their interests, then I can, I can bend the workshop toward not only the writing aspect of it, but the performance aspect. I think you, you, you need both. They're separate skills. They're yeah. separate skills. And some, some persons are able to combine them for one reason or another. Some persons not. Some persons don't even necessarily want to. Some persons, writing is fine and they're happy for the persons, you know, performing the work, delivering the work. That's fine too. But if you, if you want to, to deliver the work effectively, then I think there are, you know, there are demands of performance. There, there are obligations when you're in a performance situation that I think you have to be aware of. And um, it's helpful to a writer if you want that to do it. So I, I flex according to according to, to the people in the workshop and what their what their leanings what their leanings are. I try to frame try to frame the outline of the workshop in a way that allows me to do that. Yeah. Um, to stay more on, on you know in the line of what they want, but to put in some of what I think they may need as well too. Yeah. 
So yeah, so there's so so Shamil has been wonderful. Um, Kate Griffin has been has been superb in in allowing me to stay, you know, at their place, which is just fabulous. <laughs> it's you know really 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 good. Um, Jen Jen um, Jennifer McDera was connected with Caribbean Literary Heritage and knew of it. She too was also helpful in looking out for possible things or confirming that yes, this would be good, that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, it's, 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 been, it's been really, really good. And the other persons who I didn't know before, like yourself, who've come in and done the legwork for it too, everybody's been so, so gracious and, and, um, and so helpful, you know. Oh. It's been great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad yeah. you've had a great time. Yeah, it's been, great. been such a treat to meet you and yeah. to, to welcome you back to Norwich yeah. as well. That question of, of writing with different forms, mm. um, looking at both image yes, and sound. and sound, yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder if you could talk a bit about how each of those elements of poetry, mm-hmm. how they're important to your work and, yeah. and how you go about marrying them right. within your poems. Right. Well, I think the, the first thing I think I, I, I need to say, and it's one of the first things I, I always try to, well, almost always try to, um, or feel a need to, to um, impress on um, participants, um, is that you see we use the word writer mm. and as soon as you say the word writer we automatically think of page pen or computer keyboard but writing is first of all language yeah. and language is first of all sound yeah. and there have been cultures in the world from time in time immemorial and there still are cultures in the world now that don't have writing in, you know, in the normal sense of the word well in what we see as normal sense of the word but they always have had literature. Yeah. All cultures have literature. Yeah. You know? So I think one of the first things I, I try to say is that writing is first of all, you know, poetry, this is poetry in this case. Poetry is first of all, honestly, the way I look at it, sound. Mm. The sounds of the words. Sounds of the words, you know. Um, I mean, I'm speaking now on, on a word like word. Word, you know. That sound is... That sound is centuries old. People have said that that sound word for centuries. Yeah. So it, it comes. It comes with a power. It, it comes. It comes with. Um, it, it comes with emotional, psychological, and so on resonances. So, so I think one of the first things is, is to first to start tuning our our ear, our outer ear and inner ear again to just the sounds of words. You know, and words and, 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 and you know, as long as you have you know two or three words together, or even a word of two or three syllables together, those words are automatically making some kind of rhythm. They don't come out on a on a flat. You know, they, they come out rhythmically. That's not yeah. you know. So as soon as you're talking um, word, you're talking sound. As soon as you're talking sound, you're talking rhythm. You know. So the one first thing I try to do is to first to start tuning in again to the way verbal sound. Um, you know, linguistic sound, how it flows, mm. and and how it flows, the rhythm of it, that 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 carries emotional currents. You know, even separate and apart from the actual semantic meanings of the words. Yeah. You know, so and and, and all, all all you know all all the devices that we've come to to name, whether in English or you know or or other languages, we've come to name them, you know, with, with very, very fancy technical sounding names, you know, onomatopoeia and you know, that kind of thing. Um, they're 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 very, very handy technical analysis type words for things that we're doing every day. Yeah. And for things that people have done from you know thousands of years ago. So first thing is to tune back in to that. Okay. Um, and it's one of the reasons I, I I've I've always liked working um, I, 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 try, I try to work with, a, I've always tried to work with a, a, 
a range of different forms, both some traditional forms, so to speak, you know, particular you know, rhythms like ballads and hymns and you know, sonnets and those kind of things that come with prearranged, yeah, they've got their prearranged rhythms and the stresses and unstresses and how many syllables per line and all that kind of thing. I like the challenge of it. Yeah. I like the challenge of it. And I, I like the way it forces you to make your ear tune in to what's happening underneath the, the semantic meanings that's going on. And I like the way it forces you to do that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I like that about it. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, an Irish poet, who I, 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 like, I like that quotation of his, um, Austin Clark, I think his name is, and um, he's talking about that working with forms, and he says, um, I like to load myself with chains and see how I can get out of them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, so I, I, so I love that challenge, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, but I mean, this thing of working with prearranged forms, it's not just with, um, it's not just with, um, it's not just traditional forms, because I mean, there's, there's, there's rap, mm. you know, I mean, there's rap and hip hop, which in fact, in many ways, are, are more closely aligned to traditional forms than people sometimes make me realize. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's traditional forms. Um, and, you know, or forms and, and, and more contemporary forms and so on that, that are allied to that. And there's also what people, you know, what, what's come to be called free verse, um, which, as T.S. Eliot says, um, you know, no verse is ever free. I'm sort of roughly paraphrasing what he's saying. Because in free verse, you have to tune your air in even more acutely to what's happening rhythmically. You know, and to what's happening in the, in the weight or the lightness of, of particular sounds and words and so on and phrases, because you don't have the prearranged borders to, to contain you. Yeah, so you got anything <laughs> could happen. Yeah, which is wonderful, but you also got to check yourself too. You know, yeah. so so all that's to do, if you like, with, with, with the the sound aspect of it, the mm-hmm. sound aspect of it. But I mean, yeah, but 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 given that words are not just sounds and uh, um, that they invariably they, they 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 will you know a lot of the time. Carry, you know, they, they they will trigger pictures in your mind, you know, and um, they they will trigger, you know, people call it images and imagery, and again, fancy jargon gets into all of that too, because it gets into way of, you know, realizing what it is you're doing all the time, um, but but there's the imagery aspect, the visual aspect, and to to tune in again to see what what um, what words or what combination of words. Um, are likely or more likely to to conjure up to recreate the image, and I'm just saying for now, just the, I'm just thinking the visuality. Are more likely to to conjure up the the visual image, which has impressed itself on you as having some kind of meaning that that you know that that that's part of what you're trying to to um to to say to convey. What words will do that better than others? And 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 things that because because the image is clear to you. I mean, once the images come, you can say, blah, 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 and the image will still come. You see, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But blah, 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 is not going to say, it's not going to bring that image to somebody else. So what are the words and the phrases and what kind of combination that will do it? Um, and that's, I think that's an instinct that you, I think some, some poets, for whatever reason, have it more than others. Mm-hmm. I think because I've been involved in theater and therefore, you know, you, you've got to be, a way of dramatic, you know, composing dramatic images on stage and so on. Um, I think I, I think I'm, I'm I'm lucky in being you know fairly attuned to it. Yeah. Um, and they, and there have been poets <clears throat> who have made me realize just how um, precise and not necessarily always um, physically precise, either, but psychologically precise, but usually physically precise too. Just how precise um, working with images can be 
Um, some poets have been, you know, more important to me than, than others at, at least at different times. And then obviously our own poet, um, Derek Walcott, who died a couple of years ago, I mean, he's, he is phenomenal at hitting exactly the right image, metaphors, because you know, he's in the metaphor in the deep way, you know. And uh, so some poets have helped me to try to set a, a, a high standard. I don't always meet it, you know, but try to set a high standard in, in getting the right image. Um, but getting the right image with words that are going to... <laughs> that's, that's, where the, that's, that's, where the, that's where the tussle comes in. Getting the right image with words and phrases that are still going to have the, the rhythmic feel and flow that create the... Yeah, that, that support the emotion that the image gives. It's a, it's a juggling back and forth and sometimes you get to see... Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just know to yourself, all right... The, the image has, has won out, so to speak, more this time. Ideally, if I could have gotten some other words that would do it, and maybe they are out there somewhere, but I just don't seem to be getting it. But the image is doing it, so you, you, you kind of like, yeah, yourself. Another time, too, the sound may be more important, and the image may, the image may not need to be as, as visually precise or arresting as, as the particular sounds that the, you know, that, that, and rhythms that, that, they are, that the words are making. But it's a... It's, it's a lifelong challenge. Yeah. It's a lifelong challenge, yeah. And I'm glad to have it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, uh. There's a, a wonderful quote, actually. Um, I, I read that the phenomenal Kwame Dawes yeah. has said of your work, and this is, I mean, this is certainly the feeling I get from reading mm-hmm. your poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, Kwame Dawes says that one gets the sense of a writer working in a laboratory patiently, waiting for the right image to come mm-hmm. and then placing it there only when it comes. Right. And yeah. that's, I, yeah. I, I, I can see that yeah, as a reader. Yeah, is, yeah, right. is that representative of your process? Yeah, yes, I think so. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. And I, I'm fortunate in that, um, and I remember Kwame and I talking about it, he himself said so. Um, okay, so I mean, I, I, okay, I was going to say that I'm fortunate that I've never envisaged either the writing I do as a poet or the work I do as a, as a playwright and director. I've never envisaged that um, as a career, so to speak. Because mm-hmm. living in St. Lucia, you, those things cannot be careers. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So there are disadvantages to that. But the enormous advantage, which I, I wouldn't want to lose for anything, is that I, I do, so to speak, what I want. Yeah. I don't put on productions that I don't feel heart and soul I want to you know, put on. I don't write and put out poems uh, until I feel that, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready to let them go. It's ready to let them go, you know, yeah. because there's no career path, so to speak, that I'm following in this, which means I've got to, oh God, it's, it's time for me to get some, some poems out in this or that journal or, you know, or whatever. Uh, I, I don't have that kind of pressure on me. So, yeah, so I can wait. Yeah, it takes as long as it takes. <laughs> yeah, it, ta- it, takes, it takes as long as it takes. Yeah, it takes as long fantastic. as it takes, yeah. yeah. And the touchstone is always, um, the touchstone is always, so same with poems. I mean, the, the, the impulse or the animus to, to write a poem comes as something that, that you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have labels for it. It's, it's, it's a whole, it's a, it's a whole, bundle of both thought and feeling and, and some sensation and so on. All that's going on in there all the time. That's the first, you know, that, that, that hits you. It may hit you dramatically or it may hit you more, more slowly, more insidiously, but that's there. Mm-hmm. But that original experience, um, that's always the touchstone by which I'm judging whether what I'm 
putting down on paper um, is the right thing. So this, this struggle is, um, sometimes more so than others, the struggle is to stay in touch with that original animus that came to you, that original impulse and feeling, etc., that came to you, um, which sometimes may have come without words or may have come maybe with just one phrase or one line which, could, which might end up you know, anywhere in the poem. But that original experience, that original feeling, thought, you know, sensation all in one bundle, that's the touchstone every time. So every time you go a little further in the poem, um, you want to step away from it, uh, and then go back and I, I, I like, you know, to me the work has to, be, has to be said aloud because, you know, of course yeah. poetry sound. Then I say whatever lines I have aloud, um, yeah, read them out aloud, and then see whether they're still feeling like they're, they're in touch with and reflecting what I felt then. Yeah. And if they're, if they're not, then that's when I know, okay, yeah, some, something's wrong somewhere. Where, where, where is it wrong? Where is it wrong? And then you know, go back over and then somewhere along realize, okay, yeah, this is where it's falling flat. This is where, yeah, I'm saying these words, but they're not doing anything. They're not feeling like they're tuning in. Or, even they, or they may even feel like they're over-representing, you know, um, you know, aggrandizing maybe, or diminishing what you originally felt and so on. So. But that, holding on to that original core feeling is crucial, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get the sense from that that there's a kind of um, instinctive... Um, knowing when something's right or wrong and, and knowing that it's true to yes, that yes. animus as you say yeah. um when it's when it's not quite hitting the spot and it's it might be a bit flat or, or a bit overworked mm-hmm. as you say mm-hmm. um is is there a kind of a practical exercise or a, a change in focus that you use regularly to try and make that mm. fall into place a bit more something Something practical that you, you yeah. use again and again? Not not necessarily regularly, certainly not again and again, no. Um, but there have been a couple of things that I've found helpful. I've, I'm never consistent about that kind of thing. I, I, what, I, what I do more than anything else, I think, is wait. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always, you know, I, I, I always have pen and paper. Always, my, you know, my, 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 I always walk with a backpack. My backpack always has pen and paper. So wherever stuff occurs, I just stop and I just put it down. Um, but some, one of the things that I've, I've done sometimes is, is an exercise that Derek Walcott actually um, did one time in the workshop with us. So you look back at, the, at your, your piece, your draft or whatever, or section of or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so you, can do, you, 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 do it, you do it two ways. You, you look at your first line, cross out your second line. Keep a third line, cross out the fourth line, etc. And then read what you have so far and see how much of that original thing is still there, even if that even with those things missing. Mm-hmm. And then you can and then you do it the other way around. Leave out the first line, keep the second line, leave out the third line, keep the fourth line. So on. read it to yourself again. How much is originally there? Then you kind of start to narrow in on, yeah, what essentially do you need in this poem? So sometimes I find that can be helpful. Yeah. Um, but but again, it's not, you know, it's not. This is the exercise to do. But mm-hmm. anything that can tune you back in again. Um, also, sometimes just <clears throat> um, rearranging the order of words in a line. Yeah. You know, same line, you juggle the word order around a bit. Yeah. Or sometimes the same line, you put it down somewhere else. Just anything that's going to make you look at the poem again with, with fresh eyes. You know, um, will help. But I can't say that there's a one or two thing, um, exercises that I consistently use. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, just, I suppose it's up to that individual poem and what what that individual poem requires there you at go. that time. There you, and it'll tell you. Yeah, it'll absolutely. Tell you. Yeah. And sometimes it'll tell you, you know, 
you got to just leave me alone. I'm not ready for you yet. Or you or you're not ready for me yet. Yeah. And the poem can sit in your in your journal for years before you get back to it. Or you may never get back to it. Or as far as you know, I have, I, have, I have unfinished fragments that I don't know if I will ever get back to them. And I've had other poems that later ended up in books that they stayed there for years. Yeah. They stayed there for years. And I myself was surprised when I found my feeling and attention going back toward them. I didn't even necessarily remember that they were there. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I've just got one last question before mm. maybe we can... Um, you might do us the honour of reading one of your poems to finish to. up. Yeah. Um, the the question is, um, I, I know you've said you're you're feeling this kind of uh, you're being drawn back to to directing and, and the drama yeah, side yeah, of your work. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, what what will your next project be? Do you have anything that you're working on at the moment? So um okay so the the um in the, the I say the last couple of years I've just in bits and pieces got more been focusing on writing but in, in um, intermittently um, I've been doing a couple bits of theatre work um, on the on um, on the call it the issue theme of, of climate justice yeah. I've, I've been I've been you know more and more um, horrified um, you know truly horrified by you know by this, this thing of climate change yeah. um, so I've gotten involved in, in, a, in a couple of projects um, I, I, I've, I've co-written a couple of songs on it, um, and um, and I've gotten involved in, in, a, in a couple of um, theatre projects, um, where, where devised theatre, mm-hmm. you know, devised theatre using using all you know, using all kinds of things, using um, you know, all kinds of bit, bits bits from um, from from newspapers and you know, news articles, bits from um, from traditional um, traditional sayings, um, um, poetic sayings from whether it's the Native American, um, you know, Native American tradition or um, from particular sections of, of, of Caribbean folklore or whatever, uh, that in one way or another um, urge us to see this planet that we're on as, as the mother yeah. and that we all respect and veneration to. So using things like that, using in um, um, melodies that we devise on the spot, because I, I, I like to work with them with musicians, yeah. or especially musicians who are also into a certain amount of like active performance, you know, like, like acting and so on. So we've done a couple, of, done a couple of things like that. And there's one, there's one play, written play. Uh, we began as a device thing, but it's getting to be just too problematic getting persons to be able to commit to two, three times a week coming for us to do that. So I, I, I began writing it. Um, so there, there's this um, play I'm working on, um, which um, for now I'm calling it, and I think the title will probably stay, um, Our Mother Who Art the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to be able to complete that um, sometime in the early, early next year. Yeah. Uh, but we'll keep writing it, this, you know, in the, but I want to be able to complete that early next year. And to and to put that on, so that's um, and of course, which means getting the money for it. And that you see, as the other thing about theatre is so damn practical. You got to get the money for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that that's that's more than anything else is what is immediately as far as theatre is concerned. That's what's more immediately uh, or more urgently I'm um, occupying my focus. Mm. Um, there, there's a production I'm going to do next year, February. That's in Lucia's Independence. I've done a staged reading of it um, in August, and it, it's. It's connected. This is not to do with climate change. This is just in terms of what the immediate, immediate thing is. Uh, production I've done um, in August as a staged reading, which is tied in with, um, with, with, with a significant event in, in, our, in our modern history, mm. um, which in other words kind of have 
they've heard vaguely of it, but no, don't necessarily have all the details. But I, I'd done um, they, they had been the play of it that um, uh, uh, a colleague had um, had written uh, a play on. Um, so I'd done the stage reading in August, and I want to do it um, in February, which is our Independence time. Yeah. And I think we, I can get funding for that because it's going to be part of the Independence celebrations, etc. So that's if you like the more immediate theatre project. But the one I'm really more concerned about is the the, the, the environmental piece. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Do you, I'm sorry, I've got one no, 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 extra no, question. As many as you want, um, I'm good. Because that was so so fascinating. <clears throat> and do you do you feel that poets and writers and creative people, mm-hmm. artists, mm-hmm. is there a special responsibility to shed light to to bring some kind of emotional connection to? these urgent issues such as climate change is mm-hmm. is there something that you feel compels you to to write about this yeah yes i i yes i think so um mind you i don't think it's a, a i don't think it's peculiar or specific to to artists you know okay and, and tell you the truth i think as as artists so to speak um how do i put this i I'll put it so i think insofar as you feel that 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 um, that you you try to try to do what you can um, you know say what you can you know create whatever action you can around it. Um, I I don't think that's the artist side of you doing that. I, I think I think all kinds of persons feel exactly that impulse and in their own kinds of ways take action. Yeah. You know, in all kinds of ways. Um, I, I think if insofar as you insofar as you do that, insofar as you feel your responsibility for that and so on. Um, Insofar as you bring it into your art, that's an individual choice. Mm-hmm. I think that's an individual choice. But then I, I, I came to my sense of, of what an artist is and what an artist's connection with the society is or should be. I came to my understanding of that when I was living in Jamaica in the 1970s, which was a time of you know, real, real, you know, enormous social upheaval and trying to create a new society and that kind of thing and reggae music just coming on the scene. And, you know. So I came to my understanding of it within that context. I, I would never say that an artist, as artist, has an obligation to do that. Mm-hmm. I think as, as, as artists, to me, are two things. One, one, your obligation is to, to be truthful to what's going on inside of you. Yeah. And as artist, to me, um, to me, what distinguishes you from, from other persons is nothing to do with um, your, your particular psychology and, and you know, that kind of thing. I think, quite frankly, it's it's a skill, it's a gift. Like somebody who's a, a great carpenter, that's a gift, that's a skill. You know what I'm saying? Um, and everybody has particular skills, particular gifts that they're born with. And your your particular gifts and skills happen to be, you know, yeah, in, in, in those kind of areas, using words and creating images or you're know, working with persons. So that's a skill. So as artists, that's your skill. Yeah. What you do with it, I think, is up to you. Mm. Um, and what you do with it depends on who you are as a person, you know? Yeah, so, so to me, your, your first responsibility is to be truthful to what's going on inside of you and to, to, to sharpen your skills, to, to, you know, to, to, um, to, yeah, to bring them to the highest level that, that, that you can. I think, I think there's an ethic, if you like, in doing that, that, yeah. that you have to follow. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kendall. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if, um, just to finish off, whether you would mind yeah. reading one of your poems. Yes, okay. Yeah, so. Actually, so this, this one I'll do, which is not in word planting, it's from, it's from an earlier book. Um, it's from the one before that. Um, 
And, uh, and actually, it, it, it goes direct. It speaks very, very directly to what we've just been discussing. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's called Advice to a Young Poet. And I'm kind of riffing off, you know, the, the real key um, letters to... Mm. Um, and I begin with um, a quotation from um, from that phenomenal um, Czech poet, Tefua Miloš. Um, anyway, in, in Tefua Miloš has a, a quotation from him that begins... <coughs> um, what is poetry which does not save nations or people? So that's Tefua Miloš. Ask the question, not once, but 49 times. And perhaps at the 50th, you will make an answer. Or perhaps not. Then ask it again. This time, till 70 times 7. Ask. As you open the door of every book of poems that you enter. Ask it of every poem, regardless of how beautiful that whispers lie with me. Do not spare your newborn. If the first cry, first line, is not a wailing for an answer, abandon it. As for the stillborn, turn the next blank white sheet over. Shroud it. Ask the clamoring processions of all the poems of the ages. Each measured white-haired epic, every flouncing free verse debutant, to state their names, where they have come from, and what their business is with you. You live in the Kaisera of our times. The sound of nations, persons, breaking around you. If poetry can only save itself, then who will hear it after it has fled from the nations and the people that it could not save even a remnant of for remembering? Kendall Hippoly, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure doing this. Thanks for listening and thank you to Kendall for talking to us. If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. Check out our Facebook page or find us over at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk where you can find out about everything we're doing. And we are doing quite a lot still. You'll find lots of really great writers' resources, lots of free podcasts and free tips and advice from different writers. We've also just launched our first free writing online courses for young people. So we have two courses on writing lyrics, which are led by Jess Morgan, who's a fantastic singer songwriter. These are courses that are entirely free and they're available for nine to 12 year olds and 13 to 17 year olds. We're uploading more and more courses as we speak. So if you head over to the website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and head to young people's workshops under the young person's tab at the top you will find those courses please do rate review and subscribe to the podcast and recommend us to any friends you know who are writers and might be interested 
Thank you again. Keep writing and we will catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.